Hi, guys. Welcome back to Tell Me About It, where, as you know, we leave success stories and girl boss energy and the idea of perfect lives at the door and instead exclusively talk about the stuff that makes life hard. The rejections, mistakes, shame spirals that keep us up at night, anxieties, and heartbreaks that we all encounter at some point in our lives. So, are you in a relationship? Have you ever been in a relationship? And if so, have you ever asked yourself any of these questions? Am I in love enough with my significant other? Are we having enough sex? Am I settling? Is it wrong that I have doubts about our relationship? What if I'm ignoring red flags and we break up 10 years from now? What is this intrusive voice in my head that second guesses my commitment? Is it my gut or anxiety? Do I trust it or dismiss it? And what actually is the healthy amount of doubts that I should have when being in a relationship? A lot of people are under the assumption that if you have concerns or doubts or just compare your relationship to another couple's on social media, then that automatically means that your relationship isn't good or that you should leave, when in reality, it's just a part of any relationship. Don't you guys think there's so much advice out there and relatable content for people in the dating world and for single people about ghosting or first dates, but there's barely anything for people that are in relationships. There aren't a lot of people that talk about the trials and tribulations of being in a relationship and the work that goes into it and the normalcy of these anxieties and worries and concerns. Even in the best relationships, there are inevitable doubts or worries, but these doubts and worries can freak us out or make us feel extremely lonely. If you've ever asked yourself any of the questions I mentioned earlier, chances are you probably punish yourself for asking them or they just scare the shit out of you. But boy, are you not alone. Honestly, leave it to this show and mostly TikTok to really prove that there are other people that feel as shitty as you do. So the other day I was scrolling on TikTok for, you know, my daily 12 hours as I do, and I happened upon Sarah Yudkin's viral videos. Sarah Yudkin is a trauma-informed relationship anxiety coach whose mission is to help women feel more confident in their relationships and normalize the not-so-glamorous parts of relationships that often lead to anxiety. Just a little disclaimer, her content does not apply to people that are being abused or mistreated. But if you're in a relationship and have been for a year or two years or three years or eight years or 10 years, I highly, highly recommend looking at her videos and you will feel so seen. You don't have to admit that you feel seen, but you will. I promise. I love this interview so much. I cannot even tell you. There are so many nuggets of wisdom sprinkled throughout, and I'm so excited to talk to you about them when you guys finish listening. So please DM me when you guys finish so we can like have a full proper debrief because there's a lot to talk about in here. But I won't make you wait any longer. Here is Sarah Yudkin. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for coming on and Zooming with me all the way from Sweden. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you because I first stumbled upon your videos on TikTok and just couldn't stop watching them. And except for like me and my closest friends whispering about it, I haven't heard anyone really talk about relationship anxiety. Can you tell the people like what you do and give a little background? Yeah. So I am a relationship anxiety coach and I do that because I experienced relationship anxiety myself. And my experience was being in a relationship with 
the absolute best person in the world. We're still together. And I was still doubting, is this the one for me? Am I settling? How can I be sure this will work out? And some of it stemmed from my parents getting a divorce, but some of it stemmed from the mainstream narrative that when you know, you know, and just never settle. And, you know, you should be 100% sure this is your life person. And so there was a lot of pressure that I didn't realize had been building up. And so it caused me to feel totally panicky about committing to my partner. Mm, so how long have you got you and your partner been together? Let's just set the stage. So we just celebrated five years. And okay. um, when, when we had met, my parents had kind of just gotten a divorce around like two years prior. So it was a little bit fresh on my mind of, oh, I meet this great person. But oh, this bad thing had just happened to me that kind of made me realize love isn't always going to work out or not be as safe as I thought it would be. Yes, I have divorced parents too. So I always just feel like we have even more anxiety about it. But it's not even as simple as like, oh, I'm afraid of getting divorced. It's really more complex than that, like the anxiety and intrusive thoughts that can come to mind. So you and your partner have been, you guys have been in a relationship for five years. When did you first start to feel, you know, those hormones and lust feelings sort of, sort of start to wear off? And like, where did the anxiety start to come in? So the funny part was we were talking-ish for about six months, and then we had an almost breakup. Um, We were doing two hours of long distance, so it really wasn't too long, but we were both younger, of course, at the time, five years younger, and he was trying to start a business, and he was excited about where the relationship was going, but also really focused on trying to grow that business. There was a lot of things unsaid in the six-month mark. I was hoping we would take things to the next level while he was also worried about how that would affect his business. Leave it up to a drunken night out for all of this to come out for the first time. And I was devastated that he was saying, I don't know if I can balance love and work right now. And so at the beginning of our relationship, I was so gung-ho about all of this. And then ironically, once we moved past that, decided we wanted to be together, and then things started getting more serious that's when my anxiety started coming up, almost like an avoidance in a way. So like I realized that he loved me. I realized this was someone that could actually work out and things could be great. And in that excitement almost, it led me to start being afraid at the same time. Mm, So that was around six months, you're saying? Six months was when we had our almost breakup and then maybe about a year in. A year in, I would say, once things became more serious, the anxiety came up because, yeah, the transition of, oof, this could actually be the person for me. Right. Yeah, and that's the thing that's so frustrating is because – When you start to feel like that in the movies and in everything else, like even when you hear or you read a memoir from from a 60-year-old, they're like, oh, these gut feelings that I had that I wish I'd paid attention to. And I think there's so much noise in our head, especially if you have mental illness. Like there's just so much – there's so many channels going on at once that it's hard to distinguish between your gut and intrusive thought and anxiety. And that can be really maddening. Like I, for example, really hold a lot of – power in my gut and my intuition. And I'm like, okay, Jade, we trust we trust our gut, we trust ourselves. But then when anxiety starts to come in, I don't know, the voices get confused and distorted and I don't know what's going on anymore. So how did you know the difference between, okay, I'm I'm falling out of love with my partner versus I'm just having anxiety? 
took me a while. So yeah. I, I used to feel so triggered. Like I would listen to a podcast or read a book like what you were saying and someone would say, oh, I just knew it wasn't for me or I just had a gut feeling and mm-hmm. my gut was always churning or like screaming at me that like, what if this isn't going to work out? So I used to be extremely triggered by trust your intuition or follow your gut. And it's only recently, I mean, in the pandemic, that was when my anxiety kind of hit its peak with me and things with me and Nate. And that also led me to starting to look some of this stuff up and led me to what I'm doing now. So it really was only like three years into my relationship that I kind of had this almost panicky moment of, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And that led me to start kind of looking into all this. You would think it would have not taken me three years, but I didn't know what was going on. So I think people are listening to you having felt this for 10 years and not knowing. You just think you have to live with it for the rest of your life or you have to break it off. You think that those are your only options. But for those people that are listening and think they might be feeling some of those feelings, what were some of the phrases or themes of your anxiety? So like you said before, don't settle or when you know, you know, what are some of the voices in your head? Some of the voices are, do I even love this person or have I fallen out of love or things don't feel the same, so maybe they're not the one for me or I don't even feel attracted to them sometimes, you know, that wouldn't happen with someone that was meant to be. And it's these voices, you know, the trust your intuitions can really get to you when you can't decipher between fear and actually an intuitive feeling. And it's only recently that I have since shifted to thinking my intuition is more of that calming or grounding place of even when I'm anxious, I can know that my intuition is probably still in there, but it's just being blocked. Whereas now I try to get calm in order to make a decision and the decision doesn't have to be positive or negative. It can be any decision, but I need to still feel calm about it to actually trust that it's my intuition. Right. And how did those symptoms manifest itself in your relationship? Were you picking fights? Like when I start to get anxious, I start to get really naggy. I start to like every little thing, especially my boyfriend or my fiance now and I, we just got engaged. And when we got engaged, this light switched on. And all of a sudden I started seeing things in absolutes, basically, basically being like, if any behavior or habit that he has right now, the second that we get married, the drawbridge will close and everything will be solidified and like all the issues, nothing will change. Every, all incentive to change will be out the window. So everything that he did, I started to nap and he just one day was like, get off my jock. And it was really me. It didn't feel like an issue with him. I mean, it did obviously in my head, but it like in my soul, I kind of knew it felt like anxiety. So what were the symptoms in your own relationship? Yeah, definitely hyper-analyzing everything and Mm -hmm. seeing if there was a potential red flag I was missing, and it definitely caused me to nitpick, and I didn't realize that that's why I was doing it. Like, I thought I was right in all of my nitpicking. Like, you shouldn't leave that towel on the floor. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, oh, you shouldn't leave that towel on the floor. Like, duh. Like, you know, no person that does that would, you know, be a good partner or ew, you're chewing too loud. Like, that's that's not wrong. That's just gross. Like, you, you need to get manners. Right. It's hard because in a lot of other relationships, like even a last relationship I've been in, those were like signs that I was disgusted with them and like didn't want to be with them anymore. So it's like, how do you have those similar feelings? But how do you know the difference? It's really, really hard. But what I've had to sense shift my mindset into is that no person is perfect and we all have our own stuff. And so are the amazing, incredible things about this person going to pull you forward 
and make you feel happy and fulfilled despite some of these inconveniences or annoyances, right? And one disclaimer that I probably should have given right when we started talking is my content and work does not apply to any sort of abusive relationships. If you're being disrespected, we're not talking about that at all. And I also will add an extra layer that if you have completely clashing values or can't respect each other's values or boundaries, then that's also not what I'm talking about. So if you feel disgusted by someone's behavior that's being rude or hurtful to you, then of course that is going to cause you to feel cringy or the ick. But if it's just something like chewing, for example, some people may be like, red flag, I couldn't do that. But I know that he's not chewing at me or chewing to irritate me. It's like, this is someone who I love and care for and who has been with me through the thick of some of the hardest moments. So, okay, maybe I can, you know, put up with a little bit of those things that aren't perfect, right? Yes. So it's hard because I really resonate when you say, you know, obviously my partner is flawed and we drive each other crazy, but he is the most healthy, like most loving, incredible person. And I often like label myself and I find my own negative self-talk. Like you said in your TikToks, he doesn't deserve to be with someone that thinks like this, or you just start feeling bad about yourself. You start feeling like, God, like, why am I this way? I'm the damaged one. I'm the one, you know, he has parents that are together. Maybe he doesn't have these fears. How did you get past the self-loathing that can come with this anxiety? Yeah. A lot of self-loathing can come when you think you're doing something wrong or bad or you're you're kind of in the shame spiral of, you know, he could find someone better that wouldn't be like this. But I saw someone actually on TikTok say, I think it was Liz Moody had a really good story of don't say no to yourself before someone else says no to you. And she was using it in the context of like a job interview, right? How women sometimes are like, oh, I'm not qualified. I'm not going to apply for that job. Whereas stereotypically men might be like, oh, I'm just going to go for it and see what happens. But in that case, if you don't apply for the job, you're saying no to yourself before someone else says no to you. And I think we do that a lot in our relationships is, oh, they deserve someone who's not anxious or I should be loving them better or, you know, more. But they haven't told us that. We're creating that narrative and story. And then it's this very self-deprecating one, which causes us to then feel bad and not show up in the most loving way that we would want to. So just being cognizant of like, that's a self-worth thing. That's not a partner thing. Um, And we need to take that on as kind of our own, I guess, not work. I don't really love that word, but like something to take responsibility for. Speaking of work, you know, like that's kind of the four worst letters in relationships. You don't want to hear that relationships take work. And they do. You know, you find out after day two of being in one that they require a lot of work. But when do you know that you're working too hard? And like, you know, there isn't the work that it takes to be in a relationship isn't glamorized on Instagram. So often the work can feel like fighting. The work can feel like compromising when you don't feel like it. It isn't glamorous especially when it comes to things like sex. Can you kind of just dispel that assumption that we think that we have to be totally infatuated, lusty all the fucking time? Well, I think in the last two years, we've all realized that if you spend enough time with anyone, no matter how much you love them, that you can get disgusted (laughs) or even with yourself, like, oh my gosh, (laughs) I just need a break from myself after the last two years. But, you know, you know, matter how much you love someone, whether it's your best friend, your family, like you can get irritated with them when you spend too much time together. And the movies would never tell you that. So 
the problem I would say is not that relationships take work, but it's the expectation that there shouldn't be any. And so then people's expectations versus reality are really mismatched. And then they feel like, well, if I just find a better partner, then I won't have to do as much work. So to answer your original question, when is it too much? I mean, if you're if you're self-sacrificing in order to try and make a relationship work or you feel like your partner is going against their values or if you're genuinely just like gritting through something and there's no <laughs> right. vision or light at the end of the tunnel, like take a step back and analyze that. But for me, the work that I'm putting in in air quotes is is stuff that I know I would have to do in any relationship, like communication, mm-hmm. um, you know, feeling more attracted to myself so I can show up in a more attracted way in my relationship, like saying hard things that I know are important so that I don't keep them hidden in. And those are not exclusive to me and Nate. That would be me and anyone else. Right. And there must be so many relationships that end, not mistakenly, but and because of this, this anxiety starts to creep in and society has told us that when this anxiety starts to creep in, like all alarm signals should go off and we should panic. That's what really freaks me out is that like one day you're going to listen to the voice and that it's going to get so powerful. So something that I've been working on in therapy a lot when it comes to intrusive thoughts and my anxiety is dealing with it. And, you know, when to say like, okay, stop, cut the thought off right when it begins. Or sometimes you have to let it breathe for a little while and say like, okay, this is just a thought. I'm not my thoughts. How do you confront yours? Because for so long I tried the like, nope, shut, no, no, like that whole thing. And it didn't work. It just made it bigger and bigger. Yeah. So you may really enjoy this book, The Wisdom of Anxiety by Cheryl Paul, if you haven't read it before. But in that Mm. book, she had a really great question of what is this intrusive thought trying to protect me from feeling? Mm. So there's times when I I shut down an intrusive thought. I'm like, I don't have the energy right now for this. But usually if a thought is persistent, especially in a relationship with someone you're so happy with, for example, and you can't stop wondering, am I settling? Do I love this person? And you know that your values are guiding you towards a safe, healthy, loving relationship, but you keep getting these intrusive thoughts. Okay, then, so what's the message here? Maybe the message is that your expectations around love and relationships have been so perfectionist and crazy high that you need to do some unprocessing, I guess, of those beliefs. So for me, that was the lesson I chose to take away from my relationship anxiety journey is I had this jaded view of love either thinking it doesn't work out from my parents or I had this rosy colored glasses version of it should be like the notebook. And even if you have toxic fighting, like you just live happily ever after and you just know that they're your person. And so I was having a hard time grappling with and grieving those old expectations. Yes. Yeah. Because my parents were married for around 25 years and then got divorced. So That freaks me out because I'm like, you know, at the beginning it was great and for 20 years it worked out really well. So I think my anxiety is rooted in that slow fizzle and that like slow realization that like one day you look at the other person and you're like, what I just, what like we are two different people or whatever, you know? So I think it's, my fear is less about like the, oh, he's going to cheat on me or like the big catastrophic relationship moments. And it's more about the mundane, like, okay, if I don't tell him to clean up his dishes now, is he going to leave dirty dishes in the sink for the rest of my life? You know, but it's, and it sounds so stupid, but it's real. And I think so much of the anxiety that we all feel is like, I love this person so much. How can I be feeling this way? 
And that's like a really hard push and pull for us to reconcile within ourselves, let alone what you've done, which is so brave, which is take it to a public platform. I imagine that you had to talk to your partner about this beforehand. How did you confess to him without him taking it so personally? Yeah, so Nate is very secure. I'm like, what is that like? I don't know. But um, when he supported me and heard me out, you know, I started trickling it in before it was peak anxiety. I was like, oh, you know, marriage is scary. Like my parents got a divorce, so I'm not sure about that. And I would kind of weave some of this in, but I wasn't directly saying, I'm not sure if you're the one or I don't know Mm. if I love you the same way. And it took me some time to build up to that. But I remember very specifically one day during the pandemic, it was kind of at its peak. And instead of the thought saying, well, I don't know if I love him, it felt like I don't love him. Like it was like so in my face. And I just remember going on a walk and like breaking down and crying and like spilling everything to him. And in my caption one time I wrote like the little shit met me with empathy. Like, and that is just so Nate to the T. Like he was like, I can totally get why you would feel that way. Like we have all these comparisons on social media and like just was so kind and loving. And in that moment, I was like, what am I doing? Like, this is exactly the type of person I want. And so he's been so supportive of me and it's been so just great. And I want to be that for him as well. So I think the fact that he's just let me share my story so publicly is huge. And he has quite literally said, whatever you need to say to help other people feel less alone, like feel free to share it with them. So he's been really good about it in that way. No, my my fiance is, I mean, I call him a saint all the time. Maybe that's exaggerating, but he is truly like so patient, so empathetic and understanding in that way and knows that I come with a whole lot of baggage, you know, and this is just one of those things. But that makes it even worse sometimes when they understand, you know, because that gives your anxiety, makes your anxiety angry because they're not fulfilling the thing that you're nervous about, you know. But yeah, so I think it's important. The anxiety about coming out about it is probably greater than the actual thing itself, I would imagine. Yeah. And on my blog, I wrote, if anyone's listening and is in that same position, I wrote an article called Telling Your Partner About Relationship Anxiety, where I kind of broke down some things to think about beforehand because I wish I had understood it more. Like, you have to ask yourself, why are you telling them? Like, are you telling them to emotionally offload something and then they have to carry it? Or are you telling them because you want to connect more with them? Do you actually understand what's going on yourself? Or are you just, you know, throwing stuff at them and hoping they understand it? Because Nate is very, you know, I don't want to say he's special in that way because other people's partners would do the same thing. But there are definitely people who would have received that and taken it personally. And that's okay. And you have a right to... But the more you can, as the person with the anxiety, make it about you and not about them and actually educate them versus just emotionally dumping something, I think that would make a difference. So for anyone that's out there, if you are in that place, the article kind of even has a script to kind of walk them through what you're going through. Amazing. Yeah, cause that's, it's hard to know. Like like you said, it's natural for anyone to take that kind of thing personally. You know, it's like incredible if you manage to not, but it's really hard to. It's easier to talk about a fight you got into or just a one, you know, one explosion in your relationship or an, a heated argument or whatever you want to confess. But it's harder to talk about that lingering anxiety because like it goes away. And then that's what you talk about so much on your TikTok that I love is like one day you're like, 
okay, I hate him. It's over. And the next day you're like, oh my God, I can't, I can't even imagine that I had that thought. I can't imagine my life without him. And you start to have anxiety on the other side. You know, did you feel like that? I definitely felt like that. And I did feel crazy as well of who can I talk to about this? Because the more I would share anything like that, it would almost seem like I didn't want to be in the relationship. But the second someone would say, oh, well, then do you not want to be in it? I was like, no, no, of course not. I'm looking for you to tell me how perfect we are together. So it's definitely a result of the, I think, narrative that you should just be 100% certain or you should leave. And I think if more people normalized the fact that it's okay to have concerns about the biggest, one of the biggest decisions of your life, so to speak, that people at least hype up, and especially if you've come from any sort of past relational trauma, be it parents getting divorced or a relationship that didn't work out, or even, you know, worst case, an abusive relationship, like it's okay to have some of that lingering fear come up. Right, right. So how do you manage, you know, like let's say you've listened to this episode up until this point and you're like, damn, I have relationship anxiety. It's identified. How do you approach things like Instagram and TikTok? We're all like yesterday, for example, was Valentine's Day and all we're seeing all day is this person's caption was cool and cute. So she, you know, this, this person's caption was really sappy and, you know, like four pages long. Like you just feel like no matter what you do, your relationship doesn't stack up to the other people's that you're seeing. So how do you personally approach those apps? Oh my goodness. Well, just to normalize all of this, (laughs) I had the I had the best day ever with Nate on Saturday. I delegated Valentine's Day weekend to him, and he definitely delivered. So it's okay to ask for your needs, by the way, for anyone listening to this. Mm. Um, But I had the best weekend. And then yesterday, after even telling people not to get stuck into comparisons, there was one post where I could just sense the love coming in this relationship. I was like, oh my gosh, are they happier than us? And it's so easy (laughs) to fall into it. So please know, even as someone who coaches people on this, I get stuck into it myself. But... It, it's really about does this page or does this person's message make me feel inspired or does it make me feel pretty crappy? And I think you can kind of suss that out. But if more times than not you're coming across someone's page and you just feel icky about yourself or you find yourself getting sucked in to a negative thought spiral, then you have every right to even just for a couple weeks put that person on mute and see if you notice a difference because there are pages – Maybe not as many as I would like, but there are pages that show glimpses of the not-so-ideal parts of things, and I wish more of them were, like I said, talking about this, but there are pages where you can get a glimpse into it, but there are pages where you know that they're only posting the most perfect things, the edited pictures, the photo shoots, um, that they took with their family, but it's like, well, what what if you just got into a fight last night and you didn't mention any of that? So... That's the problem with social media is trying to realize that you're missing 99% of the context. And I don't wish upon anybody that they just got into a fight before they posted their Instagram picture. That's not what I'm hoping for. But I would love a world where people could hold the duality that you can have a beautiful relationship and there can be some challenging moments. I mean, we are people that like to compare. Like humans are just comparative beings. So I would even argue not to tell people never compare yourself, but just ask yourself, is the comparison inspiring you or is it just causing you to feel disempowered and like you can't ever get there? Right. So now that you've come to this point where you've identified it, you have a successful TikTok and Instagram about it and are doing so well, 
Is it easier to be in your head? Do you reach a point where it gets less noisy in there or do you just start to live with the noise? What, where are you at in your journey? It's a great question. And I, I wish people could be in my head because online you might think, oh, I'm talking about this stuff. So no anxious thoughts come into my mind, but that is not the case. But one thing I am proud of is that my thoughts are less now attached to my specific relationship and they're more generalized. So For example, instead of saying, I'm settling with Nate, or what if we break up in the future, I realize that's kind of a fear that I have about relationships. And so I don't attach onto him and then nitpick him and make it about him. It's more so, ooh, this is a fear that I need to tend to a little bit. That was worth recording this whole episode. Just that is such an incredible perspective shift that I've never thought of before. Like, because it's so easy. The person sitting right there laying next to you in the middle of the night when you wake up and like your anxiety, your panic, you know, and it's so easy to just be like, they're the source of my unhappiness or they're the source of my anxiety or this issue. It's so easy to make it their fault. You're saying to flip it and say, what is this triggering in me? What healing do I need to do here? What are, what are my preconceived notions about relationships and all of that? Yeah. And I think the lie that we tell ourselves is the more perfect of a partner I have, the less I have to experience humanity, like being upset or afraid or, you know, triggered. It's not going to necessarily drastically shift with a different person. Of course, if there are actual challenges in the relationship that you need to work through, then that can be a source of anxiety as well. But I, I don't think we spend enough time helping people get the tools to feel comfortable to work through some of those things, both within themselves and within their relationships. So I'm like the biggest Esther Perel fan, which I know you are too. So can we talk about mating in captivity a little bit and just like the concept about more the more connected we feel to someone? Can you explain that to everyone? I love her. She's incredible. So She's so brilliant. That is a book I recommend to a lot of people, especially if you are interested in building more intimacy in your relationship, both physically or emotionally. So the pandemic actually is kind of an interesting um, experiment with her, you know, theory in the book. And that is the more connected you are to somebody, then the less passion or mystery there is. So when you're first talking to somebody, there's all this excitement and, oh, when's our next date going to be? Are we going to kiss tonight? Are we going to have sex tonight for the first time? It's like all this excitement and anticipation. But when you're waking up next to somebody, you hear them on their work from home calls all day. Like, you know exactly <laughs> what they ate for every meal. Like, you're watching you the same shit in the next room. Yes, <laughs> exactly. It's like, I don't even need to ask you anything because I just lived your whole day with you. So you yeah. don't have to then reach out and connect with somebody and there's less mystery. And so her theory or I mean her work really has proven that the more mystery or separateness in a way there is, the more than you're having desire to connect with that person. So she really recommends having a strong sense of self. And that sense of self is not, oh, I'm going to disconnect from my partner intentionally, but I'm going to reconnect to myself and encourage them to do the same so that we can bring Mm -hmm. our connected selves into the relationship. Interesting. So I want to just really quickly tie that to sex. So when you start to first feel like, okay, maybe I'm not attracted to this person every single second of every day or every time they feel like having sex, I don't want to have sex. And then there's all these, you know, relationship tropes out there that are basically like, you know, no married couples have sex. Or if you're not having sex with your husband, you have the worst marriage ever. You know, like there are all these pressures out there. 
what would your advice be to someone that's trying to navigate that? If they haven't already, another great book that I just finished and recommend is Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. And she talks a lot about different expectations around sex. So for example, a lot of women are responsive in their desire, which means that they're not turned on until something like sexual is actually happening. So that's a big piece of the shame that I used to feel is like, I don't really feel spontaneously like I want to have sex, whereas Nate seemed to be more spontaneous about it. And that makes sense after learning that most men have spontaneous desire and Mm -hmm. most women have responsive. So I think it's about asking yourself, similar to what we've talked about, like what are the expectations tied to this thing? So should I be having sex X amount of times a week? Like where did that come from? And do you actually want that or are you feeling pressured to? And then kind of co-create these new expectations in your relationship that actually feel authentic to you, but also know that sex and attraction can ebb and flow. Like we're not necessarily going to feel the exact same type of way about anything 24-7, let alone another person. So both love, connection, and then also attraction can ebb and flow, and there's probably going to be peaks and valleys throughout any long-term relationship. Right. But people with anxiety hate that because we want like a prescription. We want like you should be having sex three times a week, once in the morning, you know, like you want the prescription. Like how do I have the most successful marriage possible? How do I have the most enviable, easiest, happiest relationship possible? And you want like the cheat code, you know, to get there. And it's hard because everyone's relationship is different. And like you said, even just hormonally, different times in the month, you might be more attracted or less. But especially as women, which is obviously all I can speak to, it's we're so quick to blame ourselves. And we're so quick to think there's something wrong with us. Or that there, and then if we don't think there's something wrong with us, we think there's something wrong with our partner, you know? And it really could just be there's something wrong in society that like makes us feel this way. Yeah, and Mark Manson talks about this really well, the difference between fault and responsibility. So a lot of times we're looking for someone to blame or something to blame when really we can just ask ourselves, is there a level of responsibility I can take for this? So it's not your fault if you do or don't want sex as much as your partner, but it is your responsibility to learn what turns you on, communicate that to them, and start doing more of that if you're looking to have a stronger sex life. So the less we're looking for someone to blame or something to blame, the more empowered we can be to actually own it ourselves. Damn, that is such good advice. And this is something kind of off topic, but I wonder if you have thought about this or have advice about it. My friend was in town the other day and Dylan and I got into a fight in front of her and I was like mortified. I was so, and it was, you know, it was a normal relation. If anyone in a relationship like would have been like, oh yeah, I had one of those last week, but she was single and I was like so mortified. And, you know, like even when we get into fights, like my parents didn't really fight a lot in front of me. Like they got divorced, you know, which, so I don't know how well that worked out, but I didn't really see a lot of conflict and resolution. So conflict really freaks me out. There's so much shame and like, you want to make your relationship look so perfect. And, and then there are days where I'm like happy that I'd never talked about those bad moments because like the good moments are there. Like, how do you have a more honest relationship with your friends about your relationship or just in general? Yeah. The shame piece is so big in this. If we have Mm -hmm. a story that we've created around if something's good, bad, wrong, right, then it often does more harm than the actual thing itself. So taking it back to arguing, for example, arguing is not inherently bad or good. And 
it's actually more often about how you repair those arguments and reconnect after than the fact that you argued. But if you are conflict averse or you associate conflict with divorce or you think that conflict means that you shouldn't be together, then of course, Mm -hmm. every time you're about to have conflict or after conflict or even during it, you may just fight, flight, freeze or just shut down or feel even more hypercritical because you're just trying to, you know, get out of it as fast as possible. So it's really more about your feelings about whatever's going on. And that's the same with talking to your friends. If you're coming from a shame energy or vibe, I guess, usually people match that. So if you're looking to get advice from your friends and you're like, oh, is this bad or wrong? Then someone might just try to support you and be like, yeah, that is kind of bad or wrong and try and just be on your side about it. Whereas if you're saying like, hey, this kind of sucked, but I still really love them and I know it's going to work, then usually someone will be supporting you in that. So you can kind of set the tone for those conversations, but it takes vulnerability. I love that. Okay, that's a perfect place for us to stop. Thank you so much. I learned so much from you. Like, I am so grateful that we're going to release this episode and hopefully make other people that are feeling the way that we feel less alone. Oh, good. Because it's lonely out there. Thank you. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. It was so nice meeting you. Thank you so much. God, I mean, she just rocked my world. I just think about things, I mean, I don't know how long I'll hold on to this perspective, but she made me think about things so differently. And I hope I can remember a lot of the things that she said because, damn, there was a lot of truth in there. So I hope you guys felt as seen and validated as I did after hearing Sarah talk. And I'll see you guys back here next week. That's it for me this week. And same time, same place next week. Okay, bye. Bye.